1: Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast, brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Bay. On today's podcast, we'll look back at United's victory over FC Sheriff in Europa League, take a look at Eric Ten Hag's first month of matches in charge of United, and look ahead to the important international break on her, the horizon as well. Now, it might be a second tier European competition, but we've got a top tier uh, lineup of podcast guests today. Samuel, Ty. Welcome back to the Manchester Real Podcast. Samuel, start with you. How are you doing?
2: I'm not bad, thank you. I've I've had a comfortable week compared with Ty and some <laughs> of the strife he's encountered trekking to Chissanau and back. It's it's good to see that he's just across the channel now anyway. He's, he's, he's g- getting closer slowly but surely. Yeah, anyone watching the video format of this podcast might notice a
1: slightly different background for Tyrone Marshall. Ty, whereabouts are you at the moment?
0: Uh, In Paris at the moment, Rich, at uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport. So, yeah, as as Samuel said, edging closer. Um, It's been a trip where if things can go wrong, they have gone wrong, really, apart from on the pitch for United, of course. Um, We flew on Tuesday via Istanbul and we landed in Istanbul and immediately took off again as soon as the the tyres touched the runway. So that was a pretty nervy start to the entire trip. Uh, Had issues at the hotel, which I won't bore you all with. Me and another member of the pack, who will, who will remain nameless, mostly because it was his idea and he was convinced of the timings, uh, took us to the Sheriff press conference on Wednesday. So we took a 25-minute taxi in the middle of the afternoon to the Sheriff press conference at the ground, only to be told it's taking place in Tiraspol, 80 miles away. Um, so that, was, uh, <laughs> that kind of sums things up. And then just at the United press conference, I got an email to say that my flight has been cancelled from Paris due to uh, an air traffic control strike. So I'm currently waiting for a flight to Heathrow and then a train back to uh, back to the, the beautiful north of England. So it will be, um, I worked out before that, I got up at 5 a.m. I left the hotel at 5.45 a.m. UK time today, and we'll get back about 10 p.m. So it's going to be a, a nice, a nice long day. So it's a pleasure to interrupt it, to, to speak to all of you lot.
2: Best not with the on trips, is it? It's not Well, I don't <laughs> think many glam. fans have no. sympathy,
1: will they? I mean, going to Moldova to watch United, I suppose there is a privilege, but... It can be a bit of a drag at times, can't it? Uh, yes. We'll start with the football then, Ty. You were at the game. Samuel, like you said, maybe fortunate not to go yourself. But uh, what, did, <laughs> what did you both make of it then? I mean, it was just a standard 2-0 away win in Europe, but it's a clean sheet. And, you know, years gone by, that might have struggled in a game like this. So the fact it was, you know, no nonsense and no frills, I guess was kind of a positive.
0: Yeah, I mean, the first, the first word that springs to mind when I look back at it was just professional, um, which, which is what it was. It's... You know it, it feels like it falls into the stereotypical category of a tricky place to go. Um, you know, it, it's a long trek, it's an unusual place, it's a very small, compact stadium. Um, you know, it's a pretty brutal place, and it, it ticks that Eastern European vibe of a hard place to go. And United just made easy work of it, really. I mean, I don't think they ever really got out of third gear, fourth at most. Second half they played in second gear, and they just they coasted through it and got the win they needed after after last week. Um you know, looking ahead to it in the days before the, the you know the few of us that travelled were, were saying we wouldn't surprise if it'd be a draw that this you know sheriff are clearly a, a reasonable side. Obviously they had that win at the burnabout last year, they thrashed Nicosia um last week away from home. And you thought if you know if United did find themselves under pressure in this group, it will be Sheriff who do it. But it was just routine, really. I wasn't surprised at all that Hag picked what you would consider his Premier League team and then the the rhythm as, as Pep Guardiola would like to say of, of the minutes before the Derby contend it's going to be twenty eight days between Premier League games and they were just very, very comfortable, weren't they? They, they weathered um, a, a mini storm, I guess. Maybe some so you know, they they weathered some some light winds maybe in the first ten minutes when Sheriff had a bit of a go. But after that, they they never looked troubled really. Mm-hmm. I think the the nerviest moment was that Diego Dallo back pass early on, which was which was pretty bizarre and after that, just comfortable, some some decent performances. Christian Eriksen, again, um, just runs every game he plays in at the moment. Sancho was very good. Two half did didn't have a lot to do, but they looked like Rolls-Royce centre-backs last night against that kind of opposition. And it was just a, a very professional job and, and a job well done.
1: Samuel, what did you make then of of that the lineup? I suppose because I guess motivation is a, a big factor going into these games, and that Sheriff have a have a huge deal to play for. And we saw the reaction to the Sociedad win. Yes, it might not be the best United team, but that was a historical win for them at Old Trafford. Whereas for United, it's a bit of an inconvenience. This sort of match, Ten Hag did go with the strongest team. But it is a credit to those players that they treated it professionally and they didn't just see it as an inconvenience that was, you know, in the middle. Okay, not of two Premier League matches anymore, but it wasn't something that was sort of
2: second thought to them. Well, those players really did need to play in that game because otherwise they'd have gone far too long without playing. Certainly at club level, you'd, you'd been looking at the prospect of, what, six or seven key players going pretty much four weeks without playing for United, mm. which I don't think Ten Hag was ever going to entertain. With no weekend game as well, it, it would have been illogical to have fielded another rotated side, if you like. Uh, the, the, the changes he made were completely expected. I think you know the, the, the team I went with was the team that he picked, and that's that was the strongest team available for him, going off players who, who, who were available and the players who were in form. As, as Ty said, I think with with Erickson operating from that role in deep, he's he is controlling games. He's been brilliant this month. I know United have only played what four games this month, but he's he's probably been the best player in in all four of them. I think it's what Leicester, Arsenal, Sociedad, and last night he, he must be man the match for all of them. So he's got to be a shoe in for the the club's play of the month award. And I think I certainly think he's worthy of nomination for the Premier League equivalent. And I know you. you I think you've, I don't know if you've done the piece yet already. I've not. I've, I've been. I need to catch up. But you were saying to me <laughs> earlier that they they are going to have to manage Ericsson's playing time because of how important he is to the team. It is just as well for them that Denmark's second Nations League game is next Sunday, so there's a week long gap between uh, Ericsson finishing his international duty and then united playing city so that's a bonus for united because however you may look to tweak that midfield against city because it is city ericsson has to start because he gives united a measure of control and and that goal last night the first goal was was brilliantly worked i think it was something like 14 or 15 passes in the build up to a, a reasonable finish from sancho but that that has to be the benchmark for the way united operate and play it was um, it, was, it was reminiscent of some of the play they, they came, came up with in pre season when they, they did really adjust and adapt to Ten Hag's methods um, quite quickly. And then, of course, they, they took a, a knock back with the, the competitive game starting and those two defeats. And okay, last night it was it was FC Sheriff, it's the Moldovan champions, it's the Europa League. You can't read too much into uh, a move, however impressive it was. and. I'd be surprised if they managed to pull off a piece of play like that against Manchester City in two weeks' time. But that has to be the benchmark going forward. And and the the identity that Ten Hag certainly wants them to adopt is more aligned with that goal last night rather than the three counter-attacking goals that they scored against Arsenal or the winning goal that they got against Liverpool last month.
1: It's a good point, Mike, there, Samuel, that, you know, lots of fans will sort of poo-poo it and say, well, it was only a Moldovan side you beat, but you can, of course, only beat the team out in front of you, as Ty alluded to. They beat Real Madrid at the Bernabeu uh, recently as well. So, you know, it's, it's not going to be the, necessarily the biggest pushovers. But, Ty, in terms of individual performances then, it did feel, you know, quite seismic that Sancho got on a score sheet after being left out of the England squad again. Whoa. What a response that was, I suppose, from me. him, I mean, I guess, again, that's complimentary to his character that, you know, he has just got on with it and he, he's trying to prove a point.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you, you know, you, you talked about character there. We're, we're seeing a bit more of that, that character this year. Obviously, his, his celebration was was a heartwarming moment, you know, I guess you'd say a, a lovely touch. Um, we saw him sprinting off at the final whistle to get his water bottle before going and clapping the fans. And he was last off after clapping the fans. Um, he spoke to a few of us in the mix zone after Leicester and was, oh, I think, was possibly the first time he's really spoken to to a group of us as, as reporters. And he was engaging. He looked everyone in the eye. He shook everyone's hand and he, he came across... Really well, and he, he is playing well at the moment. I mean, he's got three goals already. He managed five last season. I thought he took the goal really well. Looked the most dangerous player. Um, I was a little bit surprised that he wasn't sort of in the frame for a, a return to the England squad. And it was, I thought it was noticeable that um, when obviously there was no England press conference when that went Southampton when Southgate named his squad uh, yesterday on Thursday, and I think he did some stuff for the FA and mentioned Rashford, but Sancho didn't get a mention. Which I don't know was just as a result of questioning or. Or what from the FA but it gives you the impression that maybe the door's still open for Rashford for the World Cup and perhaps not for Sancho but I mean the the idea when United signed him just over a year ago now that he wouldn't be in the World Cup squad would be you know would have been incredible you would have thought by now he'd be one of the first names in the team sheet for England and now we're saying he might not be in a 26-man squad and you know he, he obviously wasn't great last year No, nobody was at United but he's looked a lot better this year and he's, he's a real threat and then you still think there's got to be a role for him in that squad and, and maybe even in that team. But I think it'll certainly be to United's benefit. Tanag was talking last night about how he can work with Sancho during the international break and that if he's not going with England, he'll, he'll be expected to be at Carrington. And I think it, it can it can benefit him and it's, he's clearly doing doing very well um, in that role. He's, in pre-season, I think we thought he was going to be the right winger. He played there consistently in pre-season. Since signing Anthony, he's moved back to the left and... Mm. So I was talking last night about that partnership he's got now with Malassia and Eriksen and he's drifted in field and played a bit more centrally at times. Um, and he, you know, he he was very good, and he looked he looked United's most dangerous attacker, I thought, pretty much throughout throughout the game, and was unlucky not to get a second goal.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, the fact he's come from Germany as well. I think sometimes it gets forgotten about because he's English. People don't think mm. that he'd need any time to adapt in the Premier League, which obviously he did need. And obviously, maybe Haaland's an exception, but if you compare him with Havertz and Pulisic, who have both struggled since coming over from the Bundesliga being good talents there I think maybe it isn't so much of a surprise that Sancho has taken a a little while to settle but like you said he is is much improved now and Samuel I guess another element of that is you know Anthony's arrived a higher price winger on the opposite flank now they can both play in their preferred positions what have you made of Anthony's first few games I know there's maybe been a bit of a debate still early days obviously took a goal really well against Arsenal that improved that that performance but but what did you make of him last night
2: he was okay. Uh, he had some reasonable moments. Uh, I thought he was quite quiet at first, but then he got, got into the game and didn't, didn't really do a great deal. To be honest, it was a steady performance. He he was involved in the the goal with some decent movement, and you know, I, I don't think there's any real uh, issue in terms of his playing his link up with with the other players so far. I think he, when we spoke to Dalo after the the Arsenal game, he he said he said that it does help that. They both speak Portuguese. There are differences between, you know, Portugal's Portuguese and Brazil's Portuguese, but not exactly um, ma- massive issues there for them in terms of the communication. Dallo speaks Spanish with Martinez and Varan, and he speaks English with McTomney. So it's a pretty impressive uh, way of going about about your business. But I've I've not been massively, um, um, you know impressed by Anthony so far he's he is only what three games in three starts in he took his goal well against Arsenal and I think although his punditry was um far far too partisan and a bit one-eyed what Roy King said about when you score on your debut everything else is forgotten does you know, that, that does ring true that I don't think there's any there's going there are going to be many people who, who quibble with that but you know he's, he's a work in progress and it that there's a big test coming up for him against against City next month. That you would imagine that it'll be him and Dallo on that right hand side, and of course he's going to have to very likely come up against Xiao Cancelo, who of course is is a defender who is actually more of a more of a playmaker than a than a fallback or than a defender, and he's going to have his work cut out there. And maybe you'll see a different side to his game there. But he certainly wasn't one of the players watching last night that you thought, you know, I can do a piece on him or there's something <laughs> right around him. Eriksen was certainly one of them. And what, what Ten Hag said about Varane afterwards, again, it's, I mean, there has been so much positivity with United recently that um, it's it's difficult to come up with, with new angles in certain ways regarding certain players because all, all bases have been pretty much covered uh, by us given the, the demands on us and, and the workload and, you know, We've, we have been shouting from the rooftops about how good these players have been individually and collectively, but Anthony is still yet to to catch fire. But having said that, where United are, are winning games and have recovered from that, that bad start to the season, he's not going to get scrutinised too heavily at the moment. But of course, this month coming up, there are a lot of big games there and the scrutiny will be, become a lot more tense, starting with the derby.
1: Two weeks as well without a match. We will cover every single angle on every single play. Don't worry about that; they will be rinsed. Um Some angles weren't Ty... even
0: thought
2: of.
1: <laughs> angles aren't even there sometimes. Um, Ty, <laughs> in terms of the lineup as well, though, like Sam would say, it was the, the lineup we sort of expected. But mm. again, McTominay starting at the base of midfield, and it is interesting with that City game coming up now because Ten Hag is going to have two weeks to think about his lineup for that game. You might want to put a, a wild card selection in there anyway because. You know, being so obvious with your lineup it means it's maybe a bit easier to plan against as well. But McTominay has responded to his challenge well. And we've said in the past that maybe until he does something wrong, there's not really going to be too much excuse to yeah. drop him. What do you make of that dynamic? And it does seem like it's McTominay or Casemiro for that holding role. And even though the consensus is Casemiro will, will eventually solidify it, right now he hasn't.
0: No, absolutely. I think it is. It is one from two, and I would be. I would be amazed if McTominay doesn't start at the Etihad with with Casemiro on the bench. To be honest, um, I think you know Casemiro is a bit unfortunate that these two Premier League games have been postponed. Because um, yeah. I don't think he didn't necessarily have started either, but he've got more minutes off the bench in them. And Ten Hag has spoken about him needing a period of of adaption and. I don't think any of us were particularly impressed by him in that Real Sociedad game last week. Um, he still doesn't look particularly sharp, doesn't look up to pace, really. And it is a big change coming into the, the Premier League. That felt, again, like a, a pre-planned substitution last night. I think we saw two pre-planned ones in Europa League last week. That, again, that last night felt pre-planned. I don't think, beyond match minutes, I don't think Casemiro really got anything out of that. I mean, that second half and, and what you're going to get at City you know, the the only similarity is that there's a ball on the pitch. Beyond that, you know, it's it's going to be a completely different game. Um, and I just, I don't think he looks in a position at the moment where you could throw him into a derby to start at the Etihad and think, you know, he can be the, the Casemiro we've all seen at Real Madrid. I just don't, I don't think he's there at the moment. And as, as bizarre as it sounds to say, um, I would be picking McTominay over Casemiro and I thought he was, you know, it, it's not a game where a defensive midfielder is really going to shine. Um, but I thought he was was pretty good last night at the base of that midfield. He moved the ball pretty well. Um, you know, he he pushed up and, and helped sort of the midfield and the forwards push up and did feel like he 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 pretty much had control of control of that game from sort of the tenth tenth twelfth minute in onwards really. And you know, in his forty five minutes, I think he was he was pretty good. And I was I would have him down to start the derby ahead of Casemiro, which I don't think is something we thought we would be saying when. Casemiro signed what nearly four weeks ago now,
1: Samuel. About a match this weekend, then the, the international break effectively starts early for United men's, men's team. It means we can sort of reflect on the first chunk of games as well because you know it basically has been a month full of matches now under Ten Hag. We've had eight in seven weeks. What have you made of United? Obviously, there was the slow start, but they've found their rhythm, they've the fact, sort of established their, their most effective 11, as it were. What have you made of them under Ten Hag? And do you think now that they are a team that can properly challenge for the top four? Have you had any sort of different thinking about what we can expect from that this season?
2: The, they're certainly top four challengers. I'd still have my doubts about whether they will finish there. Um, it's it's enc- They're an encouraging work in progress. I think it's probably the succinct mm. way of looking at it in that they've got some very good results so far the the liverpool and arsenal games obviously stand out they've recovered very well from the brentford debacle uh, i mean going into that liverpool game the, the mood was very very toxic obviously with the supporters protesting uh outside the stadium the fact that liverpool will come into town and liverpool <coughs> excuse me uh <laughs> liverpool um obviously thrashed them nine nil in aggregate last season so that, that game was looking ominous. But United, I mean, I did have a sneaky feeling going into it. United would, would be playing Liverpool at a good time because Liverpool just didn't seem right in their first two games. And my goodness, did they turn it on in those first 20, 25 minutes. That was, I know it was fueled by adrenaline and it was channeling the negatives of the previous games into a really positive approach but it was still pretty breathtaking to watch them perform like that um it wasn't a reliable gauge of where they were at it was very much a case of you know, underdogs really playing out their skin and uh, the, the favorites if you like not not really turning up at all and people have had various issues since then but it was still an impressive performance from united and a huge step in the right direction and they have built on that it was absolutely vital that they won that next game At Southampton, where they were very unconvincing, but they did get the win, and I think every facet you look at the improvement at the club, whether it's um, the signing strategy, which okay, it it might, it it does, it it was flawed, but at the moment it looks pretty good. Um, You know, they've they've been quite consistent. There is a there's certainly a thread between the signings, but beyond that individuals improving, uh, the team playing as a team, all of those improvements are down to Ten Hag, which is probably the biggest compliment you can give him at the moment. Nothing has really happened by accident. They're they're not playing in the way he wants to play yet. They are still reliant on the counter-attack. They will finesse that. They've got to finesse that because that is unsustainable. But Sancho took until February to get his third goal of last season. He's already got three goals this season. Rashford, I think, ended last season on five goals. He's already on three goals. That's that's extremely encouraging. And also, I think there's there's a humility about Ten Hag as well in that, although Veran during pre-season, as I've said before, it was pretty clear that he couldn't do double sessions. But his his omission from the starting eleven against Brighton was not fitness related. We we pretty much point put Ten Hag on the spot during our chat in Melbourne is Martínez being signed to strengthen the team? Yes. Is Maguire as captain? Does that mean that he's first choice? He said, I think it does. So by mid-July, he had declared his his first choice partnership uh, in defence. And of course, it lasted one and a half games. And he was very decisive in getting Varane back into the team. And I, I don't think there's a player that Ten Hag has spoken more um, has rhapsodised more about them than Varane. He's called him immense. He, he called him a leader last night, a uh, player who puts, puts people in their own positions, I think were the words that he used. And the, the impact of Varane has been immense And that he's played 495 minutes. They've conceded two goals. They've won all five games he started. They've lost all three games that he hasn't started, even at Brentford, which was obviously... The the Nadir probably of the post Ferguson era, probably longer than that, when Varane came on at half time, uh, that United didn't concede in the second half. And I know it's a non event, but it's not a coincidence that that when Varane is in the team, they are a much more stable side. And that was apparent last season when he was unavailable for all those four goal, minimum four goal thrashings. And then he got tired with the same brush by performing as badly as he did at Brighton, which let's face it was probably the worst of the lot of those um, those thrashings last season. But ultimately, whatever the issues there might have been or misgivings about signing him and the fact it was ten years later than United would have liked, there's a reason why they still wanted to sign a guy who's won what four Champions Leagues and won the World Cup. And he's there was a point in preseason where I think he was getting mentioned in the same sentence as Schweinsteiger, which is is not a flattering comparison, but I think he has killed that comparison now just by how fabulously he started the season. And his is the injury. United fans would dread more than any other over the next couple of weeks. I think that you know, if Ronaldo got injured, I don't think that would be the end of the world for United, whereas last season it probably would have been. but when Varane got injured last season that that had dire consequences and i think it was in the nation's league final as well uh, against spain that he got injured and then he was missing for those october uh, batterings by leicester and liverpool and that started the the beginning of the end for Solskjaer. so his importance cannot be underestimated at the moment and martinez has improved next to him malasia has, has had a very very good start dallo has been Excellent so far this season. McTominay has got better and better as well. Thought he was terrific against Arsenal, and although I'd still say the forwards are not quite firing on all cylinders, they are having match-winning moments. They are making huge contributions, and I, I, I know he's not scored too many goals so far. But Fernandez, I thought against Arsenal, that was probably his best best performance of the year so far. So. The landscape at the moment and the state of play at the moment is is very very positive. But this period coming up is going to be a hell of a test for United. It's something like thirteen games in in forty two days before the World Cup uh, comes along to to halt the Premier League season. So that's that's going to be a fascinating period to see how they fare. Particularly given that some of the games there, City away, Tottenham at home, Chelsea away. Even West Ham at home, given that they only finished behind United last season, it's, it's going to be a good test of where United are at uh, come come mid-November. Ty,
1: as we sort of mentioned as well, the first eight games have been built upon this, or maybe the, first, the last six rather, have been built upon this this pretty established lineup, then haven't they? And we, we yeah. know what to expect from United. But Samuel's touched on a great point there yeah. that after the international break. That's when we're going to see United squad depth properly, isn't it? That's when some of these players who haven't had a real look in at the moment will get their chance. Are there any players maybe over the Casemiro on the periphery that you think we will get to see over the next month or so and and will sort of remind Ten Hag of their talents?
0: Um I, I guess we'll see more changes again in the Europa League. Um, you know, I, I think like as we said, that team last night was conditioned by those postponements. Otherwise, I think you know, look, looking ahead to the game in Cyprus, maybe I think we'll probably see the likes of Lindelof, Maguire, Shaw, um, someone else at right back, depending on Wambasaka's fitness and situation. You know, you, you can kind of see eleven changes in, in in that sort of game now, especially now United are back on track in the group. You know, I, I guess the concern is that when he did make changes against Sociedad, it, it was a, it was easily the worst performance I would say of those of those six since Brentford. It was it was pretty flat. Um, it, you know, it does look a decent squad, certainly in attacking areas. Now, if you've got everyone fit, then you've got two players for every position. And I think you'd be you'd be pretty happy with it, really. Um, you know, if you're looking at Rashford, Sancho and Anthony and Alanga as four wingers, Martial Ronaldo as two strikers, you know, you, you could swap those out for Europa League games that, that remain and be, be pretty comfortable with that. Um, you know, that, that obviously depends on Marshall Ronaldo and Rashford's injuries, it's going to be interesting to see how that situation develops up front. Um, obviously we've not touched on Ronaldo. He got the goal last night. It, it was a, a better performance from him. He still didn't look like the old Ronaldo. Tenaga still talking about how he's behind in fitness and, and needs more fitness. And you hope that comes because there were signs again last night that 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 sort of like half a yard looks to to be leaving him. But it might be fitness related. But if, if Rashford and Martial are fit after the international break, you can see him being back on the bench. So, how that develops is is going to be interesting so like you said that with that schedule players are going to get chances he's going to have to make changes going to have to make changes in midfield like we barely seen anything of fred um recently i think fred fred looks an obvious replacement for for ericsson um van der beek the same i mean you know he, he did the mutv pre-match interview and, and wasn't even in the squad um you know he feels like a complete irrelevance at the moment. But again, there's, there's theoretically, six midfielders for three roles there. If, you, if you're talking of Van der Beek and Fernandes, Fred and Ericsson and, and McTominay and Casemiro, probably competing for those for those roles. And you would think in the Europa League a midfield of, I guess Casemiro at the moment and Fred and Van der Beek would be good enough to get wins in those games. And they've got to they've got to take their chances if they want to get into that Premier League team. If you're splitting the lineup between Europe and and the Premier League, they've got to take their chances to to get in there. But it's you know, it's hard to see the way they're playing in the premier league how people like shaw maguire lindelof van der beek fred can can do that but they will they will get games after the international break and they've just got to they've got to take their chances and produce better performances when changes are made than we saw last week
1: yeah, another important factor for Ten Hag is to make sure they are match fit in case, you know, as Samuel mentioned, you, you get an injury with the international break and someone gets parachuted into the team, they've got to be able to deliver as, as soon as they go in there. Samuel, the international break, though, isn't just an opportunity for Ten Hag to take a closer look at some of those players at Carrington. He's also going to be involved in some transfer meetings and just planning meetings, really, for, for the future. Is that encouraging for you? The United manager is speaking openly about what needs to be done with the international break and that he is looking far beyond just this year.
2: It's encouraging for us in that he's uh, he's given us decent lines to <laughs> innocuous uh, questions that really didn't have much meaning whatsoever, but it was quite interesting what he said about how th- they're looking at the structure as well, which absolutely does need to be um, uh, addressed, given the, the, the number of uh, departures this year, and that it needs to be a lot clearer. I think uh, there needs to be a bit more transparency there. United always have those recruitment meetings in September. Their preparation for the next summer transfer window pretty much starts as soon as as the previous one closes. It's a little bit later this year because of the September internationals being later due to the World Cup. But I think maybe the interesting takeaway from it was that he did say. I mean, he didn't refuse to rule out doing any uh, doing some business in January. When given that they've just invested some. Like, 225 million pounds in signings, four players in the summer um, is quite a bold outlook. But you you could see certain areas of the squad that they would have to to reinforce due to a couple of players' situations. It'll be interesting to see when the World Cup squads are um, confirmed, whether that's the trigger for certain players to think, right, I've I've got to I've got to map out a new career path now or a new career plan because it's it's just not happened for me here. And there are there are a couple of players who spring to mind. Remarkably, Van der Beek is going to have to wait longer for a start this season than he did under his old scourge Olegan sofsky last season. Uh, he's he's become an afterthought, an irrelevance, whatever word of choice uh, at United. It's it's just I think there's got to be an acceptance uh, sooner rather than later that it's just not going to work out for him. And there's no real clamour for him to come in either. Uh, not that there has ever really been uh, for for quite some time now. It's, I think Ty said it last season that he did become a core celebre for, for the fan base. But when he got opportunities from starts, which admittedly were rare, uh, he didn't take them. And if you want to strengthen that midfield next year, which I think United have got to look at doing, given that there was the the interest in Diong and um I think Fred will be thirty at the start of next season, uh Ericsson will be thirty-one. So you want someone younger in there. And I think getting rid of Van der Beek does give you leverage to go out there and get a creative midfielder who who is going to cut the muscle in the Premier League. At right back, I mean Wan situation is is strange. It's strange that they didn't more proactively try and get rid of him. Uh, He he was given advance notice that he was unwanted. Uh, I mean, the the notice was so advanced that last season hadn't even ended when it was known that United were prepared to get rid of him. And it's just strange things like he was in the, he was listed on the substitutes bench against Real Sociedad, and then we see him nearer to us because he was get, he was taking his seat in the director's box, right next to us in the press box. He was wasn't in the squad on Thursday night. He's Barely played under ten hard full staff. I think he's he's not even had a start across um, the the eight competitive games and the six friendlies. So that doesn't bode well for him. I, I think there's an acceptance there as well that he's he's just not up to it for United. And of course, if he goes, they they would need a right back to come in. Uh, as as ideal as it sounds, Ethan Laird, where he's doing well on loan well at QPR. I don't think you'd want to necessarily recall him mid-season, um, but maybe that's an option for United to to look at rather than recruiting someone new altogether. But the, the main issues next next year, possibly, could be in goal and, and up front, uh, in that United have to be open-minded to signing a new long-term goalkeeper, given that situation there and how things can change quite quickly and how De Gea can't necessarily be guaranteed of being the number one next season and his contract situation. And of course, Ronaldo in all probability is going to leave at the end of this season, unless there's a compelling pitch from United for him to stay. And he wants to stay as well. Again, a lot can happen over the next eight months there, but United have certainly got to be planning with you know the intention or certainly uh, the willingness to get a new goalie in and a new uh, younger goal in because, those are two, I mean, those are just two of the most important parts of a team's spine and you can easily see a situation where they will need both of them next summer. But already, I think, if, if you are looking at the next phase of their, their squad rebuild, I don't think there's any debate about this. Next year, there have to be more outgoings than incomings. They've They've invested a lot in the squad this summer. The squad's in a much better place than it was at the end of last season. But as it stands now, you'd probably say they, they're they short of three or four players. If, if you're looking ahead to next season anyway, and what the squad's going to be like at the end of this season, they'll need preferably three or four players. And let's face it, there are a hell of a lot more players that they need to get rid of permanently rather than just temporarily.
1: Of course, Ty, there's not going to be too much sympathy from opposition fans if Ten Hag fails to deliver the goods after a record summer of spending for United. But... January window is one that will fascinate fans. There's obviously the pitfalls. It's going to be post World Cup as well, so some players' prices might be inflated on the back of that. Is there any position now that you do think would be in need of January overhaul, or do you think United do have enough to get themselves to the end of next season? I know it's early days and it's all hypothetical, but do do you do you think United will be in a position where they're going to feel look at January and say, right, we need to we need to act now?
0: I think it's unlikely. Um... I mean maybe a right back if you can if you can get a taker for Wambasaka in January. Other than that, I think it's it's unlikely, you know, it's a really hard market to do business in as as clubs always say, you know, it's a window for the desperate really. If you if you're trying to recruit in January, you're normally desperate for one reason or another and you'd hope United aren't going to be in in that position. Like I said there they they seem to have cover for every position at the moment. You could get better cover at right back and and clearly Wambasaka's future lies elsewhere. So if you could get that sorted in January, you could you know, you, you, could, um, you could see an argument for, for looking for a right-back there. But in terms of the other areas that we mentioned, an upgrade in quality in midfield, the centre-forward, finding those players in January is almost impossible because you're buying players. You'd be looking at players coming from elite clubs. They're probably still in Europe. So I think it's always very difficult. The, like you said, the World Cup is is probably going to be interesting, whether, whether teams feel they might need to strengthen if players have had a long World Cup or if anyone's picked up an injury at the World Cup. Or like you say, if someone's stock is particularly high from a, a lower club who's had a good tournament or something like that, that that could impact the January window, I guess. Um, but I think it's you know, it's difficult to see United spending too much there. And I think the only one at the topping head would be a right back to to compete with Dallow. I think the other areas such as goalkeeper, midfield, forward, is is something you'd look at more, you know, more aggressively in, in the summer window, really, rather than January
1: yeah samuel international break there i mean like we said the, the squads have sort of all been announced this week anyway any players in particular you think that need to go away in international team and, and have a good international break or do you think from that point of view it is just a case of hoping as many of them turn unscathed as possible
2: i think most of them are in a pretty are in pretty good nick at the moment you, you may be looking at the, the england ones mainly it's, it's maguire and Shaw. I, I don't go along with the that the social media outrage that maguire was really fortunate to to get in the squad i mean he's he has done next to nothing wrong for england uh Shaw is pr- pretty much in by default because england just have a shortage of left backs playing regularly ben chilwell is also in by default and you can't really see either of those playing regularly between now and when the world cup squad is selected Southgate's still not got the courage to drop one of the right backs I don't care what the state of play is, it's ridiculous having four right-backs in a squad. Um, somebody else could take one of those places and have more of a contribution, however good those those four players are individually. And in, in the case of Maguire, yeah, I mean, he he's probably the one who needs to have a good time on, on international duty more than anybody else because he's been dreadful for United for for a year now. Uh, but when he does play for England, he, he tends to do well, even though you've got... In great little englanders who who boo him when he's playing at wembley which is just bizarre but a lot of football fans are bizarre we we get stick for apparently sticking up for harry Maguire when we've actually stuck the boot in more often than we've stuck up for him it's it's strange how how some football fans work but i think there's you have to take it um with with a grain of salt and that a lot of football fans seem to have a struggle uh, with with reading beyond Twitter or, or reading selective tweets. I think they, they seem to only uh, home in on the tweets that they take offence at, which uh, is, is nothing new there. So, so Maguire is the one who, who really could do with having um, a good couple of games and given the way into shaping up, you'd be surprised if he was named on the bench for either of those two games. I know there was a bit of... Again, outrage. Was, I think Henry Winter made a good point at the Times when he said that for all the... Um, however much club fans downplay uh, the international break, when when their player doesn't get in an international squad, they, they get very easily outraged over it. And there was a bit of outrage over Ben White being excluded when, although he has started well this season, played commendably for Arsenal, he's been playing at right-back. He's not been playing at centre-back. So it would seem rather illogical to select him when, as I said earlier, there are already four right-backs in the squad. I just feel as though with with Southgate in England, there's a danger there that he is becoming... I mean, the the whole thing about what he said in 2017, I'm I'm picking players on form, not reputation. That has been completely flipped now with Maguire, Shaw, Calvin Phillips has barely played. Um, Mason Mount, you'd probably still expect to start at the World Cup and I've never really... Seen much merit to him starting for England. He's a good player, but his his role should probably be taken up possibly by Jude Bellingham or playing playing Phil Foden in in that role rather than him. Ultimately, I think Southgate is is taking a risk of just yeah you know, sticking with favourites who you can't be absolutely certain are gonna come up trumps when the world cup starts and he is too cautious with his approach he's with these two games coming up he's he's got to be trying to integrate bellingham into the starting 11.
1: we will see who's on that plane hopefully tyrone will be in about 45 minutes uh you need to be home this weekend Ty, i mean the trip for you then one that you'll look on fondly or one that maybe you need to get home and digest it first to to give it any an analysis yeah.
0: Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting place. Nice to have, you know, it, it, like we're saying, Moldova is not somewhere you're ever going to go on holiday. Um, it's not high on the list of city break destinations. So it's a it's a new country to tick off. Um, I don't think it was winning rave reviews. There was a few United fans on my flight this morning and didn't sound like any of them were in a, in a rush to go back. Um, in fact, one of, them, one of them had been before about seven or eight years ago for for some reason. I think when United were playing in Ukraine maybe and they'd They'd come through here for some reason. They said it improved since then, but we're still pretty poor. So it's not, um, it's not, it's not had rave reviews. And of course, the, the United fans on my flight have all been affected by the cancellation. And there's there's people going to flying on to Leeds, people that are now waiting for eight pm Euro stars back home. So it's uh, it's all added to the fun and games, shall we say? So yeah, an, an interesting experience to, to to tick off. But it'd be nice next season if they could qualify for the Champions League and go to Barcelona instead, please.
1: That's Ronaldo's motto as well. Um, so, yeah, of course, United, not in, United men's team not in action this weekend, but it's worth pointing out the under-21s are in action at Lee Sports Village on the Friday night against West Ham and United women kickstart their WSL campaign at Lee Sports Village as well, midday on Saturday. Maybe if you're in the air, you can get yourself to out of those games and United the United men's team not playing this weekend, you can still cheer on a United side anyway. Ty, Samuel, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you, Rich. Cheers Rich. And thank you very much wherever you are in the world. As always please do leave a like and subscribe if you aren't already and we'll see you again next time.